Let's open in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day. I thank you for the beautiful sunshine outside. We thank you for your love to each and every one of us. Father, as, I, as we just pray and as we prepare our hearts for you to speak to us, Lord, I just pray that you would use my words and my lips to do that, and that anything that's, that's just from Brian would go right over our heads, that it wouldn't stick, but that your truth would remain. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So just to recap, as I mentioned before, next week is a special week where we're having our VBS, our, our music and drama camp, come and present to us all about the Good Samaritan. I'm really excited about this week. Many of you are coming to, to volunteer, and we're so glad for that. The following week, we are teaming up with Concordant Baptist Church and Blue Water Christian Fellowship, both churches in town in Concordant, to have a joint service uh, at 10 o'clock. We don't have to change our time, which is great. Some of them get to sleep in, actually. Others have to get up early. We can keep our schedule. That's going to be at Knott Park. A shared meal will be following both of those days. Today, we're going to finish up our summer series on called Refocus, where we have been looking at some of the principal and key and foundational things that we as Christians and we as a church need to be thinking about, need to be recognizing in order to be following God in what he wants for our lives and for our church. If you've missed any of the series, or as I'm talking today, you go, hey, I'd like to hear that again, or someone else I know should probably listen to this, all of our messages are on our website at chalmerschurch.com, and you can check those out. There's lots of great other information there, especially as we move into the fall. Today's message, like every other message in this series, I want to suggest, not because I've said them, but I want to suggest they are absolutely essential if we're going to understand how to follow God well as a church. And I want to give you the big idea of today's message right at the front. And so if you zone out, if you start daydreaming, if you fall asleep, at least you get this. And if nothing else, take this home with you. Here's the big idea. God does all the work. We just have to not get in his way. God does all the work. We just have to not get in his way. I couldn't find it, but there's, there's this image. I saw a cartoon a while back of this guy who was in a canoe. And at the start, you only saw the guy in the front of the canoe. He was paddling like crazy and paddling like crazy. And it, it must have been like a, a storm or something. And he, he was just crying out, God, where are you? Why am I having to do all of this? And then, then the next caption of the cartoon, it zoomed out. It was this little guy in the canoe, and there was a big Jesus back behind him with a big oar. And Jesus was actually doing all the work. I don't know, parents, have you ever gone canoeing with like a little kid? And you're like, oh, stop paddling backwards. You're making this harder for me. We'll talk about that in a minute. God graciously and lovingly, he allows us to partner with him to be part of his salvation plan for the world. And in return, we need to allow him to work through us and to do our best not to get in his way and work against him. It's amazing. In the mission of the church, God, through his Holy Spirit, he does all the work. However, he chooses out of love, to allow us to play a part. He doesn't need us, but he chooses 
to use us, to allow us to partner with him and to give us roles to play in his love plan for the world. Now, the local church, I believe, is the hope of the world, not because we can do it on our own, but because God has made us to be his hands and feet in the world, and he has equipped us by the Holy Spirit to do that work. Let me share with you a few of the scriptures just to back this up. John 14, verse 12, says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. This is an amazing scripture. Jesus is the one who's speaking, and he's saying, those who believe in me, those who are going to come after me, those of us here who follow him, we're going to do even greater works than he did. That, that like blows my mind, because Jesus did amazing things. But he says we're going to do even greater things because he's going to his Father, and because he's going to his Father, he's sending the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to work through us. That's amazing. Let me share with you another one. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this, All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. So each one of us has a role to play in what God is wanting to do in the world. That's amazing. That's amazing. Again, he doesn't need you, but he wants you. One more. This isn't a scripture, but this is just a wise person who is fairly poetic, much more poetic than I am, and he said this, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. Yours are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. So, He doesn't need us, but he wants us. And he chooses to work through us. That's pretty amazing. All right, parent confession time right now. Not you, me. It is not always easy to let my kids help me with projects around the house. Whether it is cleaning out the van or painting a wall or putting away laundry or washing the dishes, it is almost always easier to just do it myself. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if you are a parent here, I think that I am not alone. It's not always easy to let kids help you with something. It's messy Dishes sometimes get put on the drying rack with food still stuck on them. Paint gets places that it should not be. So why bother? I've asked myself that question many, many times as I've been cleaning off extra dishes or finding paint where it shouldn't have been. And this is where what I've come to. I realize that my relationship with my kids benefits when I let them help me. My relationship with my kids grows, gets stronger, when they help me do something. It's pretty significant. In the same way, God does all the work, but he invites us as his children to be part of that. 
Now, let me just share with you a few scriptures that talks about what God does. And these are things, actually, that that God doesn't invite us to be part of. This is just God's part, okay? So God does all the work. John 16, 8 to 11. For when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit, this is who they're talking about, the Holy Spirit will expose the errors of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness, and judgment. God, through the Holy Spirit, does that part. He'll show them that the refusal to believe in him is their basic sin. So he'll show them their sin. He'll show them that righteousness comes from above, where I am with the Father, out of their sight and out of their control. In other words, he'll show them their sin. Then he'll show them that righteousness isn't about what we do and how we can make ourselves better. It's about what God has already done, and it's not in our control. And then he'll show them that judgment takes place as the ruler of this godless world is brought to trial and convicted, being the devil. Here's another one. Jesus again says this. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. People don't come to the Father through you. People don't come to the Father through me. God is the only one. Jesus is the only one that people can come to God the Father through. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. One more here. John 12, 32. Jesus again is speaking. And he says this. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And this is one that I want us to kind of focus on today. When Jesus is lifted up, he promises that he will draw people to himself. That's an amazing promise, isn't it? If we lift Jesus up, people will be drawn to him. That's all we have to do. All we have to do is to lift Jesus up. All we have to do is to show people Jesus, crucified and risen, our hope, the one who loves us more than we know. That's all we need to do. And when we do that, God will draw people to him. That's amazing. And so as a church, we need to make sure that we are lifting Jesus up. We need to make sure that our teaching is about lifting Jesus up. We need to make sure that our lifestyle is about lifting Jesus up. We need to make sure that everything we do, that we lift Jesus up. Because we want those who don't know Jesus to come and to know him. Because if you're here today and you know Jesus, you know that that's the best relationship you could have. Now, I've said something before at this church, and I want to just explain it here because it works really well here. When we think about how God doesn't need us, but he wants us, when we think about allowing our kids to work alongside us, and how that's not easy, but it benefits the relationship, I want us to talk for a second, just for a second, about how we then need to make decisions as a church. Often, churches, not just this one, but lots of churches, we like the democratic way of doing things, where we all get votes. And if you've been around here at Chalmers, we don't vote on things. We don't force things on people, but we also really, we don't do a whole lot of voting. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the things about that 
is that that's a democratic way of doing a, a church, uh, of being an organization. That's not a bad thing for like a Lions Club or for like for other organizations. And the democratic way of doing things we like, especially here in North America, because it works well in politics, right? We can look at other places in the world that are fascists or communists or those kind of things where there's one person who has all the power, and we know that when people have too much power, power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so we know that when one person or two or three people have all the power and all the say, bad things happen because that power can corrupt and can corrupt quite quickly. And so we like the whole democratic thing where everybody gets a vote. But we miss something there when it comes to the church. Because the church should always be run by God. God should be the one who gets the vote. God should be the one who makes the decisions. And because that's not very democratic, it's actually kind of fascist. Maybe a monarchy. Monarchy is a better way of thinking about it, right? But it actually works because God isn't sinful. And we trust that God, if God knows all and is all loving, and God is the one who can make the best decision, then we should just trust that. So we talk a lot about how the church is a theocracy, which just means that it's governed by God. And that doesn't mean that just one person gets to stand up here and says, thus saith the Lord to you. But it's why all of us need to be praying and need to be asking God, God, what are you calling us as individuals and as a church to do and to be in our community? It's one of the reasons why we are having these Tuesday night prayer times. And if you haven't been to one, I really encourage you to come on Tuesday. It's a great time. We've had some great time of prayer, and I would very much encourage you to be part of that. Anyway, but that just, again, it dovetails into this idea that God is the one who should be doing all the work, and we need to be not getting in his way, but partnering with him well. Now, God still allows us to be part of his kingdom and allows us to do his work and his will and his plans for his church. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we sometimes get in his way. And we need to really not. But as a church and as Christians, we sometimes just get in his way. The paint goes where it shouldn't go. The dishes aren't totally done. And we sometimes, as a church, put up barriers. If John 12, 32 says that when Jesus is lifted up, he will draw people to himself, unfortunately, sometimes we, as Christians, consciously or unconsciously, we don't want that. We don't like that. We want people not just to be drawn to Jesus. We want to put stipulations of how they're drawn to Jesus and what they look like when they're drawn to Jesus and how they act when they're drawn to Jesus. And all of those are barriers. Let me talk to you for a minute about some of the barriers. These are barriers that we sometimes put in the way of people coming to Jesus. Sometimes we want people to be perfect before they come to Jesus. And we sometimes say, well, you know what? God loves you, and once you clean up your act, then you can come to Jesus. The funny thing is, that's not how Jesus acted at all. Jesus loved people. Jesus 
forgave people. Jesus was with people who had messy lives. And I don't know about you, I still have a messy life. I don't always do the right thing. My life looks pretty messy. God's working on it, but it's not perfect yet. So when we say perfect people only, that's a barrier. That's a barrier. Another barrier that we put up is the barrier of legalism, where we say you can come to Jesus if you know all the Ten Commandments and you follow them all. You can come to Jesus, but once you come to Jesus, then your life better be looking pretty perfect. And you need to be following all of his rules all the time. And sure, Jesus gives you forgiveness before, but if you mess up as a Christian, oh, you're in trouble. That's a barrier, folks. I'm the pastor of a church, and I mess up daily, maybe hourly. My wife can attest to that. Traditionalism. This is another barrier where we say, you can come to Jesus as long as you fit the mold. As long as you look and act the way that I think you should look and act. You're welcome in my church as long as you know when to stand and when to sit and when to kneel and when to sing and when to talk and when to not. As long as you wear the right clothes. This is traditionalism. Tradition is good. We can learn lots from the people who came before us. But traditionalism, that's just a barrier. That's us putting something between us and God. Perfectionism. Again, this is just another way of saying that you can only serve God once you've come to God. Then we put up this barrier and you say, you can only do that if you're really, 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 really good at it. You know, we're only going to let the people who are like professional guitar players come up and play the guitar at church. We're only going to let those who are, you know, ECE approved look after our kids. We're only going to let those who are like gourmet bakers make cookies for church. And the problem is, unfortunately, there are churches, and I, I've known them and I've been part of them, that have this as part of their culture. Who say, you are welcome to be part of here, but you're not actually really part of the church until you're like, you know, caring for the church and serving the church. But we're not going to let you serve the ch- in the church unless you're like perfect. We want our music to be like perfect. We want their speaker to be perfect. We want everything just to be perfect. There's nothing wrong with excellence, but when we aim for perfection, well, only God's perfect. Other. There are lots of other things, but here's some other thoughts. Location. The location of your church. That can be a barrier. It doesn't have to be, but it can be a barrier. For example, the location of this church. Unless you're the hack family who lives across the street, you pretty much have to drive here, which means that people who don't have cars... Ah, they won't be coming to our church. We just need to be aware that that's probably a barrier. The name of the church. I was talking to someone this week who talked about how, you know, I like that your church is called Chalmers Community Church because it means that, like, just anyone from the community can be part of that. And this is someone who has looked at and gone to other churches and has kind of said, you know what? Like, 
can I go to the Anglican church if I'm not Anglican? Like, what if they meet me at the door and they ask for the secret handshake? And if you've gone to other churches, you are laughing, but you also know sometimes you're like, there's a lot of inside information here that I don't know. How about this demographics of a church? Again, I was talking to a different person last week who's just lamenting about their church and said, you know, they're just coming to recognize that the demographics of their church are welcoming to some people and not to others. They are a church that that when you walk through the back door, you would see a whole lot of glossy heads and a whole lot of white heads. Now let me say, (laughs) you white-haired people, don't you get on Twitter and start saying that Pastor Brian doesn't like those white heads, okay? (laughs) That's not what I'm saying at all. Your white hair or your bald hair, that's a crown of wisdom, And we are so thankful that we are a congregation that is multi-generational. I am so thankful for every age group in this church. Especially those who bring wisdom. But this person who was talking to me recognized that if a young family who had two or three kids walked into that church and looked and saw the white or bald heads that it would probably be a bit of a barrier for that family to stay. I'm not saying it should be, but I'm just saying that that person thought it was. Now, there are a lot of ways. I want to just acknowledge this. There are a lot of ways that we as a church have been working really hard to remove barriers. There are a lot of ways that we've been doing that, and I think that we've been fairly successful We have created a culture here at the church that says, come as you are. Come as you are. And you will be loved and you will be welcomed just as you are. If you come in a three-piece suit, we aren't going to judge you. We are going to welcome you here. On a hot day like today, we'll probably give you a fan. But you are welcome here. If you come in jeans and a t-shirt or in shorts, and you look out and you say, hey, The pastor is wearing shorts. That's kind of weird. But hey, I am too, so maybe that's an okay thing. We've created a culture here which says, come as you are. We take our reverence and our respect of God very seriously, but we also understand that what we look like on the outside has very little to do with how we respect God on the inside. As a church, we have worked on and we've gotten fairly good are creating a warm welcome where people who walk in here for the first time often will feel like at home. They will feel welcomed and loved. We have a coffee time after the service each week, and if you're able to be part of that, you will get to know people. You'll get to learn who people are, and you'll get to love people, and that's fantastic. And we are so thankful for that. But that's just another way that we are removing barriers. Another thing that we're doing is that we, we do events out in the community. We had a barbecue in Ripley a few weeks ago. We've done a few other events out in the community, which is just a way of getting out of this wall and out of this location to say that it's not about this church building, it's about Jesus. And we want to share him with all that we can. 
Heather and I, when we were on vacation, we went to a, a church just south of here, just before Godrich in, in Auburn. Uh, and there's a church called uh, Huron Chapel Missionary Church. Fantastic church. Very, very, very similar to Chalmers. We walked in and we were like, it's kind of like being at Chalmers, but I just don't know the people here. But it was very welcoming, very warm, very friendly, and very feeling like he came home. It was a great church. And the pastor there was talking about how they are having to make some hard decisions. And they've been praying through them. And one of the decisions that they are having to make is that they are overflowing in their service during the school year. They have room for probably about 200 people in their church building, and that's overflowing. And so one of the things that they had prayerfully talked about is, and what they're going to do, is they're going to be moving to two services in the fall, in September. Ken, please hear me. I'm not saying that that's what we're doing as a church. But I was really appreciative and I respected how they talked about this decision. They talked about it because they wanted to get rid of the barriers. They wanted to get rid of the barriers. They wanted to make sure that when they lift Jesus up, that there were no barriers for people to be drawn to him. And one of the things that they said, and this stuck with me, and you'll hear me say this now a number of times because I love it. They said this, this decision is not for those who are here already, but for those who are not yet here. Let me say that again. Help it to stick in. This decision is not for those who are here already, but for those who are not yet here. So as we think about what is God wanting to do here at Chalmers, let me just paint for you a bit of a picture. But let us always consider that in mind. That whatever decisions we make as a church, as Christians, should never be simply for those who are already here, but to always consider those who are not yet here. Within a 15-minute drive from this church building, there are approximately 12,000 people, give or take. I didn't go door-to-door. This is from the government, so eh, you never know if it's accurate. But about 12,000 people. Within a 15-minute drive from here, there are about 20 other churches. I'll talk about that in a second. Within about a 15-minute drive from here, there are about 1,500 people who would call the church their home, would attend church semi-regularly, which kind of means that there's about 10,500 people who don't attend a church regularly. And I'm not saying necessarily that not attending a church doesn't mean that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. However, I will say that if Jesus is your focus, if Jesus is your Lord, it'll be pretty hard not to be part of a local church. Just because the Bible talks about being part of local churches and how that's important. So, there are 20 other churches in that 15-minute drive. At least seven of those churches are palliative, meaning that they are dying slowly or quickly. And only about 10 of those other churches are what I would call evangelical. And maybe a better word of saying that would be only 10 of those other churches are actively wanting to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love of God in Jesus, with other people outside of their building. 
Now, we're one of those ten, just so you know. What does God want us to do with that 10,500 people? Well, I know that the Bible says that he wants all to come to know him. But if we thought of just 1% of that 10,500 people, if we thought, well, we want to share the gospel and disciple just 1% of those people, that would be 105 new people. 105 new people. And that's 1%. 1%. And 105 new followers of Christ. I hate that 1%. I hate that 1%. I hate that because that means at least 90%, if every other evangelical church just said 1% is all we want to do, that means that 90% don't get to hear. That doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't sit well with me. And I hope it doesn't sit well with you either. But whatever the statistics are, whatever the numbers are, let me just leave this with you. Kind of as a good wrap-up from this whole series. As a church, God is the one who does all the work. We just need to partner with him and not get in his way. So my question is, what is God wanting us as a church to be about? How does God want us as a church to care for those, to love those, and to share with those who never heard that God loves them? And how many people does God want to come to know him? Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you that someone, actually many people, shared your love with me, told me about a God who wanted a relationship with me, told me that there was a God who sent his son to die so that I might be forgiven for the junk in my life, told me that I could have a relationship with the one who had created the whole world and the universe And that when I took that step of faith, I found life. I found you. And I'm so thankful for that. Lord, I pray that I would not take that life for granted. That I would not take your love for granted. That I wouldn't just hoard it to myself. Because if there are 10,000 people out there who don't know that you love them, I don't want to be okay with that. If there are 10,000 people out there who are going through life, kind of walking through the shadows, I don't want to be okay with that. So Father, stir in my heart and stir in each of our hearts a desire and a passion for people to come to know you. That we would believe firmly and thoroughly that life with you is so much better than life without you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.